Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Bobcast with you. As always, this is Bob, live in the lounge. Funny thing, I was just about to start hitting record, and um, dude, I, I looked up, and when I looked up, there was a dog following me. Somebody else's dog, he's behind me now, but the dog's like trailing. You might be able to hear his leash, or his collar. He's off the collar, and he's, yep, here he comes. What's up, dude? My name's Bob. Welcome to the Bobcast. Up. Oh, got cold feet, left the studio quick. Walked right out. I appreciate all the feedback on the last episode, Occupational Prisons. It seems like the comedy in that really helped people, you know, get over the woes and tribulations of your occupational prison. We're just busting out all sorts of new vocabulary words here. I might write a book, okay? I might start a church. Um, the book would just be rumblings from out here. Nothing's ever written down. Nothing's ever planned. So half the time I'm like writing on the fly. I got a couple text messages about uh, occupational prisons. I don't even remember saying some of the stuff. Something about a robot. But uh, this dog's still following me. It's very distracting for the podcast. This dog's gone now. So anyway, it's it's Friday when I record this. It's like 2 p.m. I left work early to get out here to at least get two solid hours of sunshine. Getting done and only having 45 minutes of sunshine, it just sucks, dude. You know, and I'm done. I'm done, you know, wishing that upon somebody. Who wants to do that stuff? Nobody, dude. Nobody wants to be a part of that. Nobody wants to uh, get done work, work eight hours to go back into the dark. Maybe some people do. Maybe they love the dark. For me, everything's changed and uprooted in my life. I used to stay up to two, three in the morning. Now I'm getting up to go to the bathroom at three in the morning. You know, somebody said to me today, I was like, I wake up every night at three o'clock in the morning to take a pee. And the guy, he's an older guy. He's like, that doesn't sound like a, that doesn't sound like a prostate problem. That sounds like something else. And I'm like, okay, here we go with the fear. You know, maybe you've had something like that. And maybe you're somebody who actually, if something's wrong with you, you hold back that revelation because you don't want people to treat you differently. Look at Norm McDonald, right? He had cancer. He didn't tell his close buddies. Nobody knew. I listened to a bunch of podcasts. Close friends had no clue that he was sick. Because when you tell somebody something's wrong with you, they could do a couple different things. They could do one where they're like, hey, uh, really care for you. Or two, try to scare you. Or three, you know, really be there for you. But yeah, as soon as I turn 40, dude, I start peeing every night at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know? I don't know if it's a psychosomatic thing. I don't know if it's, you know, this, that, or whatever. But I guess, you know, eventually I'll have to go through the middle age checkpoints, prostate, all that, you know what I mean? And then somebody, you know, like the guy, same guy who was telling me something's wrong with you was just like, are you not scared? Are you scared of dying? Aren't you scared of dying? And like, I looked at him and I was like, no, dude, you know, I used to be. And, you know, here's the thing. I, I can't talk about it right now because of my occupational prison. But I can tell you that 
this world, this, this nine to five, this five day work week, this prison that we created for ourselves, this is not what existence should be all about. As a matter of fact, this is just 3D. This is like us interacting. I, it just doesn't make sense. And it's always been that way for me. You know, somebody asked me, you like your job? And my flat answer, no, I've been talking about it a lot. It's like, and I, you know, I've never liked it that much, you know, never enjoyed going to do somebody else's work to make them richer, you know? And the fact that I had to go somewhere for four years to get an education, to get, to be broke. Towards the end, I wasn't even buying the textbooks, man. Some of those college professors in the early thousands, they would like, do, they would like spend 20 pages in the textbook all semester. And those, those textbooks were like 80 bucks a pop, 80 bucks given inflation is like 140, 150 a book. F that, dude. You know what I mean? I'm not doing that. I didn't, you know? We really got to look at the structure of how we do things here, you know? It's it's weird when you, like, pay attention to other cultures, other traditions for children, like, elsewhere in the world, you know? And, like, go to school for, you know, from what? You're three to you're 17, 18 years old, then go away for another four years, only to be in debt, a couple hundred grand, maybe, hundred grand, who knows? But, like, for what? For what, dude? The other night, I had to... I didn't have a... My boss didn't have a ladder that could reach this projector, right? So, he, he we needed an 18-footer. He comes in with, like, a six-foot ladder. And I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you trying to do with this, you know? And uh, he wanted me to go up in the ladder. I'm like, nah, not doing that. Instead, I went over and I got a flagpole. The flagpole had a sharp top tip to it. And I used the flagpole to turn the power cord off. And you know what my first thought was when, first off, I was struggling to get the power cord off. And my boss is, you know, talking shit basically behind me. And I think I even said it out loud. I was like, I can't believe I went to four years of college for this. It's the truth, man. It's the truth. And I hate to tell it to you if you're a young person, you're listening to this. But it's like, dude, you better decide what you want to do quick. Don't go to school and have no clue. Because it's not just wasting your parents' money or the institution's money. It's wasting your precious soul energy, dude. Don't do something you don't like. Just don't, you know? I wish I could go back. Actually, let me take that back. I don't want to go back no more because I'm pushing forward. But I just want to be able to help others and inspire them to understand. that that's, that's If you don't do what you love, you're not really living, man. You're just not. I mean, I love doing this. I love hiking. I love podcasting. That's why I'm doing it more often now than not. I don't get paid for this, you know? I get spiritually paid for this, you know? I also get, like, um, like naturally restored. Something about coming back here to the same path, the same trail, you know? Like, I start off the same way every podcast. I sit on a bench up north here, make my way down to Bell's Mills. You hear the traffic calling, oh, the minion hat moved again. How about that? Somebody moved it. If you're following along here with the pod. But yeah, go go do something you like. Maybe it isn't even something that you got to go to a four-year school for. Maybe you're happy being a lifeguard and you make $13.50 an hour. But that was your dream as a kid. And you know what? You're happy. Awesome. You know? Maybe you... What's some of the most shitty jobs? Okay, one of the most shittiest jobs I ever had was working in... A grocery store. Maybe you work in a grocery store and you work on Sundays when people are trying to get their 
their harvest, their bounty for the week, and all the nastiness is coming out inside of them. They forget that you're a human being. They forget that you're just collecting tender and providing receipts. They think that like the impending work week is somewhat, somehow, some way related to that cashier person. And I, you know, I haven't spoken about this, but several times I've corrected some. Holy shit! There's a snake, dude. Holy shit! Oh, oh my god, dude. Oh my god! I almost stepped on him too, man. All right, so it's like a gardener snake. He's right in the middle of the trail. His head is looking right at me. I don't know how to get around him because I'm scared of snakes. My whole body is frozen with fear at this moment. I didn't think this was going to be a great podcast, but this is going to be a great podcast because here I am frozen in my steps. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to hurt it, but I want to throw something at it to make it move. God help me. I don't want to turn around either. Dude, I don't see the snake. Oh, God help us. All right, I have like a small rock here. Let's see what happens if I throw it just a little bit over that way. Dude, he didn't move at all, and I think the rock hit his head. Is he dead, dude? Are you alive, dude? Oh, I'm frightened. Yeah. It's frightening. I'm not really sure what to do because, you know, I guess I have to walk around him. But, I mean, he's, like, not moving. He hasn't moved since I've got here. He's in the middle of the trail, dude. I could easily walk up around the trail, but I'm scared he's going to, like, lash out at me. I'm in, like, this tiny, like, little bit of room here. Terrified of snakes. There's a snake. <laughs> I'm going through it. See him right there in the middle? I'm not hallucinating, right? I'm podcasting to live right now. Okay. You see him? That one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate your uh, emotional tone there. What's your name? Mike. Hey, Mike. Mike how you doing? I'm Bob. Yeah, Do you think he's alive, dude? Well, he's cold, so he's probably slow. But he's alive. You can see his head's raised up. Uh, how do you know all this stuff about snakes, dude? Did God uh, just send you here to help me? Because <laughs> I am. I am. I'm your guardian angel today. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to help you across the path. There's a snake. Just so you know. Yeah, that we're frightened. Like a little snake. I have snake phobia. I can't remember the phobia right. name. He's right there. His head d did just ah, move, though. He is alive. Yeah, he moved. You're welcome. Yep. So Wait, how about that? Um, I just sort of remember a couple things from school that they're cold-blooded reptiles, and that means uh, they usually slow down in the uh, colder weather. But it's only about 51 degrees out today, so this gigantic rock python uncoiled in front of us could be an imminent threat to our life. Wait a minute. So, like, you sound also like kind of like a poet, Mike, right? Like, I, you speak really well. Thank you. you. The podcast? Uh, I don't. I don't. But I am actually a poet. I'm. Uh, no. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Dude, walk and talk with me. Let's All walk right. past this snake there real quick. Right. Then here we go. God help me. I am so I scared. Oh God. Dude. I got to take a picture for for like you know the yeah, the dude. podcast, but then also that we overcame our fears. Oh God, that's wrong. All right, so Mike, here. You don't see too many of them there. Mike, what's your last name? O'Hara. Like O apostrophe H. H A R A. Yep, that's okay, me. Cool. So I'll feature you on the podcast. I'll give you some credit. Talk about like so. I also too. Um, I mean, I love poetry. I think I first got into poetry was two specific times. One was my mom gave me a American Prayer by Jim Morrison when I was like twelve. But then when I was in college, which I was just potting about about how 
going to an institution and getting broke sucks. Yeah. But you know what? There is some positivity to it because it was the first time somebody slipped me a book called Howl by Allen Ginsberg. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was like poetry that like I could I could uh, grasp. What was it for you when you were, you know, young man or like what, what drew you yeah, to poetry? Yeah, I think it was one of those things where um, I feel like like anything else, it's been kind of like a big passion in my life. I saw somebody doing it. Mm-hmm. I was I was enjoying it. That little thought creeps into your head where you're like, maybe I can try this. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, hell, that's my hobby now for the next couple decades. So what type of poetry do you like? Where do you get your inspiration from? Obviously here, right? Yeah, some of it's here. Um, uh, I, I like I like writing and performing about kind of formative experiences. And I also like being kind of innovative with like uh, poetic forms. So like kind of trying to create something that nobody else has created before. Dude, I'm all about that. The innovation of like performance. So like one of the things that I've always enjoyed was when performance can kind of... Uh, confuse the audience the audience doesn't necessarily know what's happening i've been pitching on this podcast for almost a decade now uh an interactive haunted house that was also a concert at the same time like imagine like a haunted house where the band could perform perhaps maybe three different set pieces but you led into it yeah you know what i mean like so what were you like like when you do poetry like a poet poet slam poetry slam or something like that what type of types of things do you do on stage to exact that type of action yeah yeah so um i I mean i have a piece where uh it's kind of a like it's called a persona piece Mm -hmm. where the the writing and and the performance is performed in the voice of sort of like a a known character right Mm -hmm. but um in this case i was writing a series of poems where the um it was kind of taking heroes and kind of rewriting them as villains and villains as heroes like that like classic heroes yeah um or just like creatures from like fairy tales and stuff Mm -hmm. so um this was like uh like Hansel and Gretel's father. Okay. And this is one of the ones I wrote while I was out here in the woods because, like, you know, you're out here in the woods. And um, sort of writing him as as maybe not this kind fatherly figure, but, um, you know, the sort of lesson is that, like, you know, the history is written by the victors. Yeah, yeah. So because he's the one that survived and his his wife, the mean stepmother, is the one that didn't survive, you always hear his version of the story. So the piece is about sort of like a writer, a a letter that he's writing to Hansel and Gretel, um, not knowing if they're going to come back. And it's sort of slowly revealed in in the piece how um, he is an unreliable narrator. Uh-huh. You can't really trust what he's saying. Yes. So you're kind of like, it engages the listener to kind of recontext everything that they've heard, not knowing now if it's a lie or not. That's the way I describe my boss, unreliable narrator. I'm not really sure like what's going on, you know, yeah. but I know I got to follow the story and I know <laughs> I, I can't just cut out. I got to wait for the credits, you know. Uh, very interesting stuff there. I mean... Um, you mentioned poetry slams. Have you been? Have you been to a poetry slam? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I work for a school district, and okay. uh, actually, we're uh, organizing uh, one this year. Okay. I used to do it in the '90s a lot, back when zines were real popular, yeah. and like, you know, poetry was kind of like the way people expressed themselves in the absence of social media, in a way. And there was a film called uh, Slam Nation. Yeah, but I think it was just no. It's like the, I forget the guy's name. He's an amazing poet, actor. Uh, Saul Williams. Yeah, what was the name of that movie? Slamation. <laughs> Damn, I know. I thought it was just called Slam. My he, bad. He, he was. Yeah, he did his own movie called Slam, but he sort of first broke in in uh, Slam Nation, which was a documentary about the poetry slam. But yeah, he did his own movie called Slam. That's that was right. like the mid nineties, right, Mike? Um, oh. yeah, I want to say yeah, mid nineties or early two thousand. Yeah. So, um, one of the uh, actresses in that uh, film. She was uh, she was a poet in the New York scene, and then you might recognize her. She was on The Wire. 
Yes, 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 yes. Um, I forget her the name of her. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's amazing though because one of the things that I think is interesting is like you know poetry. Like at the at the school, we have some people who are writers. I'm a screenplay writer myself. Okay. I I haven't. I, I used to write poetry all the time to like uh, reflect upon the world, and I still have like my journals from when like I was a kid. Yeah, and it's interesting to go back and reread your work <laughs> and like you know. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of that. I, I actually, to be honest with you, and I guess maybe it's it's just a different medium in general. But I often cringe at Facebook memories, <laughs> the writing yeah. like from ten years ago. Yeah. Whereas with the poetry, like sometimes like if you're like in a vulnerable place. Yep. As a fourteen-year-old or fifteen-year-old, get old, you know. Like yeah, exactly. Kind of, it kind of keeps, yeah, keeps my mother was very influenced by uh, the Doors, so like I remember when the the Val Kilmer film came out. I must have been like eleven or twelve, <laughs> and then like the music starts showing up at the house. But then like I remember, uh, yeah, the American Dream. Shake, I'm drawing a dad blank right now. Shake uh, dreams from your hair, my pretty child, my sweet. Choose the day, the day's divinity. Uh, I used to have it all, but you know what I mean? The thing about poetry, though, is it also triggers a part of your brain that doesn't really get toggled during the daily work grind. You know what I mean? Like, for me, that part of my brain is the is the creative side. And I always say, like, when I've been coming at this is like my 403rd podcast. I've been okay. doing it for about 10 years, yeah, yeah. taking my time with stuff. I used to interview people. And now I just come out here and podcast okay. by myself until I meet somebody. And yeah, by yeah. far, you are the most interesting <laughs> guest that I've pulled uh, from obscurity. I mean, you mentioned the poetry slam. I was the Grand Slam champion in Philly in 2012 and won the literary death match. And I took second in uh, the National Poetry Slam at the uh, head-to-head uh, death match haiku and so I've done a bunch of things in poetry, and I I, I uh, did a um, I did a, a like a poetry slam at a at a high school where I kind of like did a workshop with the kids and got them to write, and then yeah, I got them awesome. to perform. So there's a lot there's a lot out there to do. But you also mentioned work, so I'm an engineer, so like my work has nothing to do with with my creative output. But um, I, I there's nothing there's nothing that you do in your 40 hour or 50 hour or 60 hour work week that precludes you. From being creative and there's nothing about being creative that precludes you from having any certain type of career or uh, or content of work so you know i was just it's it's great it's almost like a supplementary it's like the denouement you just dropped on the audience there because like what i was basically saying was like um like i have this job where it's like i do apply the skills like i do video editing and like um stuff like that i run like i do all like the events for a school district around here filming musicals stuff like that but i'm a writer you know what i mean i also live in a world of imagination it's very hard when you're in your you know i'll be 44 next month and people it's really nice to be around you and i just met you but like so many people that i encounter have like closed off that part of themselves they closed off the the wonder part of like you know when you're a kid and it's like oh that's just for kids it's like says who dude like who wrote these rules yeah i mean look we're out here i mean this is this is the the simple beauty of enjoying nature it's right close to home yes but you come out here and sometimes it's just you know fading trophy wives complaining about their first world problems or you know people that are just sort of um you know they're 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 out here cycling and it's more like like they're they're competing in their own olympics rather than yeah. enjoying what's around them yeah and it's so easy to lose sight of what's right in front of you yeah i mean i credit you know people who are who are married and have kids with you know making the sacrifices and not having the time to do every single thing that they want right yeah but i feel like everyone you know will waste minutes and hours doing things that are just kind of like not 
you know, fulfilling or not giving themselves joy rather than doing something like, you know, trying to write a poem or trying to be creative mm -hmm. or just, um, you know, enjoying something that's that's a little more transcendent than just sort of scrolling. Which way do Instagram. you go? You going right or left? I can go either way. All right, let's find, let's, uh, you, you mind crossing over this way with me? Yeah, that's good. So, like, one of the things that's interesting right there, too, is, like, yeah, it's like, all right, so sometimes, like, I remember, all right, so I got this job, this job pays really well, this job utilizes all my skills, but, like, creatively, it doesn't, like, peak me the way it needs to be peaked. Oh, my bad, we almost all died here. It's all good. But, you know, I mean, like, this fulfills it, right? And like, here's the thing about it is like, I've been doing it for like a 10 year thing. We're at Bell's Mills people. So I'm going to take the mic here so we don't get killed. You walk behind me and then we'll regain. Um, so like, there was a chance for me to make money with this, yeah. with podcasting. And I didn't, I, when I was younger, like when my ego was like stoked to the brim with like, I got to make it, I got to make it. I remember like going after guests like on the podcast that were, completely out of my league you know what i mean like i did but you know what the thing is once i gave all that up and i stopped pretending to be something that i i wasn't clearly and i just got back into my henry thoreau mode and came out here like it's 1995 dude it, it fulfills me so much and like one of the the things we've always, i've talked about several times with guests here on the show is that was weird she was like gonna yield kind of but not really it's such. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude. I can't tell you how many episodes I've had where I've almost died there. You know. <laughs> so, in a nutshell, like, like okay. So, like, I also was like in a band for a long time. Like, also a ten-year period, and that was a big dream too, as well. But I was recalling just the other day several moments, like where you know you had to show up for sound check at two thirty, and you weren't playing to eleven p.m. that night. I just yeah. was like, this sucks. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I guarantee you, as you get older, it's it's not going to be about, oh man, you know, I wish we would have got signed, or I wish we would have made it, or I wish we could have at least had, you know, like a tour that was more than, you know, a yeah. two hour drive away, you know, like it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about like, oh man, remember when you you know you you stop forgetting about the things that you never got to have, and you really have a deep appreciation for the things that you did have. I I, I totally. That's one of the things I've always practiced is gratitude. Yeah. But what I was going for was this, and maybe you can back me up on it. Okay. It sucks being an artist because, like you said, you're an engineer, right? Yeah. So being an engineer, clearly that can provide a monetary function. Oh, yeah. But with art, say, for instance, the person who enjoys you know, smoking a doob and maybe doing some watercolors, you know what I mean? And doesn't really want to sell their art, you know right. what I mean? Right. The, the thing that happened with me, too, is like, and it happens with most people who are a musician, you reach a certain point in your life where you're not going to make it like the odds are stacked against you if you're 38 years old yeah, yeah. I, I stopped playing music uh, when i was like 37 my son was born okay. a year before and i couldn't do the tour thing no more yeah. and then i start picking it up and just doing it for me yeah now i play in a church band i make no money yep. i don't sell myself <laughs> and i'm so happy yeah, yeah. do you think that that function like how do you well how do you think the monetary function got associated with art and if you would mind you can hold that too because i really like to get your voice like real close Put it like okay right here. yeah sure thing um so the i think like the monetary function of you know and and as it as it relates to creating art it's tricky i feel like art is more of a like a healing and fulfilling pursuit when it's not also your job 
when it's your job, you're feeling all the same negative things that you do with any other job. The pressure, the compromise, the, the urgency, the that weird trade-off between, you know, being productive or being happy, you know. And um, I think it's easy to, to sort of like, you know, assume that if you were a little bit better, if you, were, if you had a, a few more opportunities or if you talked to the right people, that your not only could your art be your job, but it could pay very well and you would be no less happy. You know, it's the sort of, it's the dream job. It's so strange, right? I mean, yeah. what led you to be an engineer? Um, I think it was just... You're using both sides of your brain. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm seesawing all over the place here. Yeah, yeah. So, sure thing. So I kind of grew up, um, you know, like a working class, lower middle class, and I was the first generation in my family to go to college. And... Um, so to me, it was sort of like, you know, m must not fail. Like, you know, failure is just not an option. So I just pushed myself really hard. And I was like, well, it's not just about me getting to do what I want. It's about, you know, this has got to pay for itself and I've got to be able to feed myself with this. So out of the engineering disciplines that were out there, I picked the one that was the sort of widest. So mechanical engineering, because it would be like the one that would be easiest to get a job. I could have been a physicist, but I'd be sort of jumping around for research grants for the rest of my life. You know, I could have been like a statistician just crunching numbers, but that wouldn't have paid as well. And um, so I was like, okay, well, physics and math are my strong suits. So I'm going to lean into what I'm, what I'm good at, you know? And that's the thing, like you can, you can pursue what you love or you can pursue what you're good at. But I think if you pursue what you're good at, you can find a way to make work tolerable. You know, you, yeah, you get, you get stronger, you get a thicker hide, you get more used to it. You sort of like the things start to roll off your back. For me, it took a long time. I always felt like a fish out of water in the corporate environment. Right. Oh. I know. <laughs> Talk about it, brother. Talk about it. I just, I mean like the corporate environment is the, the problem is I got to hide my crazy all the time. You know oh. what I mean? Like, uh, <sighs> yeah not at all i mean like even like i was surprised like when i first started working back there a couple years ago i was prepared to like cut my hair all off yep and then i came back and i was like oh this is a new corporate world though there's like a couple things that were different one there you can't comment on your looks no more you gotta dress appropriately but like yeah. as long as you're following protocol yeah but you know the thing about corporate world is like i don't really have conversations with my coworkers that are meaningful like this I've known you for less than 28 minutes and like I know more about you than people I've been with for three years okay. and the thing about I mean the corporate world you're with these people more than you're with your family and that's the thing that really sucks for me too is like if I'm going to give up this portion of my life I don't necessarily I mean like I was content once just like uh like serving coffee because yep. it was just like it was a function like from point a to point b yeah. nice to talk to people but, like, I really do believe that, like, being in a corporate environment, you really don't get the chance to know anybody. And, like, you know, I like to talk about stuff, like, uh, spiritually as well. And, like, that's a big no-no yep. in the corporate world. But yeah. yet alone, when someone needs to get sworn in, they use the Bible, <laughs> which is just that's so weird. So, yeah, there's like, and I think maybe, like, the weird intersection there between things you can't talk about and then, you know, the expectations of, you know, swearing in on the Bible and stuff. I think it comes down to there's culture, yeah. right? There's culture in your family. There's culture in your workplace. And I mean, there's conversations you're not going to have with your coworkers. There's conversations you're not going to have with your family. And those are two different, very sets of conversations you're not going to have. Right. Um, it's, I think if you find, 
that you take a little bit of a leap, you know, you're going to find one or two coworkers that you can, you know, open up with. I mean, yeah. these people are feeling the same sense of isolation and editing <laughs> that you are, right? But I, so I'm the only one of the whole. <laughs> uh, so I'm the only video editor slash uh, cinematographer yeah. in a district of seven schools. Okay. So I don't actually have. Like I used to have coworkers that you could rely on and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like I don't know. I mean, like, look, I'm also a product of my environment, Mike. It's like yep. post pandemic, right? Also, too, something I've been talking about on the show. I also like to get your perspective on it because I'm not really sure what to believe anymore. Because it could <laughs> be that we're just a pawn in their storytelling. <laughs> but like when you know David Gersh came out and blew the whistle on the fact that you know aliens or UAPs exist. And the United States government is aware of it. Yep. Nobody really gave a shit. That was very that strange <laughs> to me. And like, I mean, I was a child of the 90s. I saw Independence Day twice yep. opening weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's fascinating me. And on the other side of the fence, it could be that there actually is aliens or two. There's no aliens. And it's another ruse by the government to make us think that, you know, it's something else rather than you know uh what was it in 2000 they passed homeland security uh you know like 2.0 like, like the, ne the next thing to scare us into submission with right well, that's and, the other thing too is like everything's fear-based you know and then there's we got a fun space force now that we know that there's aliens out there or something well i mean like if there is i mean like there's fascinating theories you know what i mean i like to read about it because i i mean that my favorite theory is that they've always been here and they're just interdimensional and we only get a chance to see them every now and then mm -hmm. because we're looking at three-dimensional space and you know like that law of uh i forget what it's called in, in nature it's like it states that the photons will only observe when you're observing something the photons will behave a certain way yeah, yeah. and then when you're not it's is like it the, just chaos what's that called it heisenberg's uncertainty Some, yes i think so fascinating stuff right so like literally everything we're looking at right now is not there it's just us piecing it yes. together. Yep. Now, there's a spot directly in front of your eyes uh -huh. that you literally can't see, but your mind keeps filling it in. Yeah. There's and what's like that? A little void right in there, but you're, you don't know that you can't see it. Your body can't see it, but then your brain just fills it in. So, see, like when I say spiritually, I should also say cosmically at work. Like I'm yeah. fascinated by this stuff. And it's like, yeah. to me, I, we don't spend any time on it. Nope. We gloss over the fact that there is some sort of, I mean, the Mexican government last month, and if you don't bel believe me, listeners out there, you can Google it on all sorts of different news organizations, except for the major ones here in America. The Mexican government came out and had, uh, I think it was two or three bodies that they exhumed. Hey, how are you? So it was three bodies that like they, they, they put out their alien uh, corpses. Uh, who knows? It didn't look anything like you would think. But like, what do you think's going on with that? Like the center of, of it, is it truthful or is it just another one of these things where like, yeah, you think you know what's going on, but nah. Well, so let's, I look at it this way, right? I mean, people, uh, I think a, a lot of talk about intelligent life and other planets kind of coming to visit. I think a lot of people um, sort of apply their own biases and fears to it. Uh -huh. They're like, okay, what are they going to come here and take from us or... Why are they here trying to be observing us in secret? Yeah. So sort of like the same, we apply the same concerns about aliens as we do with other nations. Right? <laughs> yeah. But consider that the time and the resources it would take 
to travel those distances, maybe by the time that something got here, your civilization would be long dead huh. from where they came from, or so radically different that it wouldn't even matter, right? So you could be seeing uh, a vessel that was traveling through space, maybe not, you know, full of resources or yep. journeying towards us with a malicious intent, but just fleeing under duress. Yeah. Running out of gas and just running drifting, out of gas and just drifting around the gravity wells until it gets here, right? And then you're like, okay, well You wanna go see the statue? Yeah, yeah, we can go. So yeah, the one thing that's fascinating too is like I like that theory too. There's another theory which is like what does it state? It states it's okay, so basically it's us thousands of billions of years into the future where we have we have grown like we t we communicate telepathically we uh can reproduce without sexual organs yeah. penis is gone vagina is gone you don't have to just think about it bam you got another alien you know what i mean but it's us coming back like in a nostalgic way that somebody would go to the jersey shore to look at their old <laughs> you know what i mean we're coming, we're coming back to Coney Island to look at the... Yeah, look, look, at, look at us. Or like, you know what I mean? Like as entertainment. Yeah. I like that. Uh, the other one that I, I think is fascinating is like, perhaps... I mean, like alien symbology. I mean, it shows up in several different... Like, um, like it, in most of the Egyptian lore, there's like three discs always flying around. Like, you know, all this stuff, right? But... What is it? The theory states that... Let me get this right. What did they do? They came... Well, I mean, like, obviously it doesn't really make much sense with the pyramids, right? So, like, if they did exist and we got wiped out, they definitely were using some sort of tech. I've also seen people try to debunk it and be like, look at me dragging this stone up, you know? like. But, like, they also knew about the stars. They, you know, would put the pyramids in, like, perfect... So there's so much stuff going on and then nothing. I kind of feel like that's going to happen to us. Like this thing right here, the iPhone yeah. artifact, dude. You know what I mean? Like future archaeologists <laughs> will guess wrong all the time about what we were doing. <laughs> they had this device. We can't figure out what they were doing. Sure. Probably a mirror, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see the Mike Tyson uh, video from 92 where someone's taking a picture of him with an iPhone? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not an iPhone. <laughs> exactly, right. They had lots of, like, Polaroid cameras that looked like an iPhone back then, but... So, wait, do you believe in aliens? Um, to me, it's sort of, uh... I, I think just the, the odds of, you know, a near-infinite universe yep. having a, um, the conditions, you know, be, be just right in order to, to foster life yep. and that happening... I would say it's probably inevitable, right? Um, What's I'd, your intent, you think? I mean, they, they probably have a vastly different psychology than ours. If uh, I think we're, we're still kind of in the, the Stone Ages, psychologically. We're still concerned about, you know, money and survival and very caveman instincts, right? So what is beyond that? You know, what is beyond scarcity? You know, what is beyond, um, you know, competition, yeah. all those things. So I think if they can evolve their technology, if any, if any intelligent race can evolve their technology to the point where they can be star spanning, they've probably evolved their society also to a point where they're not, you know, heading towards global warming, wiping out their planet and, and all these other things. And I think they're probably inscrutable. 
they may be, you know, if, if a visitor comes, perhaps they have a, a strange religion they want to spread. Perhaps they just want to take samples. I doubt that they're coming here because they want, you know, water or <laughs> pets or, you know, any, any other corny old sci-fi tropes. TikTok. Yeah. Like, does kids even really want physical things anymore? Or is it all digital? This is new, by the way. This crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you're going to see a cultural shift eventually, where people seek out contact more again. I feel like the the rise in sort of anxiety and depression has so much to do with the separation felt by people just sort of like getting sucked in to non-contact things like social media and and um, you know, just sort of like uh, being virtually entertained rather than being like in the moment. Oh, that's what I was going to say to you is um, the aliens start showing up here on our radar when the first uh, nuke went off, when they first start testing uh, the Manhattan Project. Obviously, everyone went to see Oppenheimer this summer. So, you know, <laughs> like uh, it would be interesting because like some theorize that they came here because they were concerned that we blew up like a hole in their demand. Maybe that's the bomb blew kind of like yeah. show that we're could potentially be a threat right that's the other thing too is like the threat aspect you know what i mean like everyone's always like they're going away like remember the movie signs yeah <laughs> you know they, they're defeated by water watch out <laughs> i did like war of the worlds though the one with tom cruise where they were underneath of us they'd always been here mm-hmm. but so yeah god forbid i mentioned aliens at corporate work america <laughs> but yet alone yeah. congress is talking about it that's the weird thing is like even with the U.S. government on national television, on the national like media, hey, we got this, we got that. The guy went on Rogan, right? Did three hour podcast with him, mm-hmm. and then the week after, he was with another guest, and the guy's like, "What do you what do you think? Do you believe it?" And Rogan's like, "Could be true, could be not." But like he also said, he believes it could be. He's just a, you know. Uh, not patsy i guess like somebody that the government's using hey don't somebody that the government's using to you know put out their their side of the story but you know it's just i'm not really concerned about the proof i'm just simply trying to state like how how was it that during the pandemic when they released first off they released the information in a COVID 19 document yeah nobody cared dude squid game just give it a bit you know what i mean like tiger king it's just bizarre. Yeah, it was Tiger King. Excuse me. Yeah, Tiger. Okay. I, I mean, the whole world inside watching television. Yeah. You know, and like yeah. the other thing so too is like kids wouldn't even see aliens if they showed up because they'd be looking at their phone. That's true. But uh, so one, I think one of the thought exercises you know we can do because we can probably only understand aliens to the extent that we could understand ourselves. Yeah. Like we we understand fear and hunger and greed and anger and cultural hegemony and prejudice and all these other things. So so let's say that we were the aliens. Let's say that we found life on Mars that was far less evolved from us. They're, uh, but they are evolving. You know, they're developing. They can't detect us, but we can detect them. Yep. They're starting to reproduce. They're starting to, you know, be the dominant. There's starts to be a dominant species on their planet. They're, uh, they're advancing rapidly technologically and we have a concern that eventually they may come to earth they may detect us they may decide that with their finite resources earth would be a great place you know they want we're afraid that they're going to treat us like 
England treated America. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so what do you think we would do in order to, you know, treat them like a third world country to hamper their? Exactly. Yeah. So, so what would we do to, to kind of like keep them hamstrung and you know stay undetected and give them an iPhone? Give them an iPhone, right? Uh, maybe you know disease. Maybe yeah. Show them Fortnite. Keep them distracted. Kind of like, you know, you're talking like, uh, like Oklahoma, um, or what was it? The trail of, uh, trail of tears where they put smallpox into yeah, smallpox blankets. When was that? So when did they do that? That was after, right? The, and that was during, um, civil war era. Was it, oh, early colonization. So I, mean, I was just watching, um, killers of the flower moon. Have you seen it? crazy I mean, right seen it, but, uh, yeah, so i mean like it's wild because like for a couple like you know like obviously the plot is revealed within the title yeah. but the methodical way that they went about it here comes a guy in a cowboy hat too which is crazy uh the methodical way that they try to like get rid of a race because in the beginning you know hey don't they were like yeah we could just wipe them out but then you know once more people start showing up and they start seeing how bad genocide you know could be and yeah. Like stuff would happen, like a word would get out. Sure. Yeah, it was much later too. But so, dude, you know, again in yeah. that movie, like subtle, uh, subtle methods in order to conquer. So you know, professing love and entering into a marriage that was insincere, yeah. and, and and operating on a time frame that was much longer than what other people. You know, like they're like, okay, this this land, this money will come to us in a generation or two. Whereas most people are just like, okay, this contract is for the next year or yeah. something like that, right? So, I mean, yeah, obviously, governments are guiding societies on a very long time frame. Imagine a, a, an intelligence that was vastly, you know, more capable than ours if they wanted to influence us. Wouldn't their efforts be so subtle but so continuous that we wouldn't even notice? Like taking, like, a fraction of a penny out of the... <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. You know, cha mean, changing things that we happen. wouldn't notice. Maybe this is happening right now. I would say that... All, you know they're, that they're, that Earthlings are are also, uh, you know, affecting affecting Earth and subverting governments. And I mean, look at how long it took to develop uh, the electric car, and how many how many successful attempts were made to kill it. Well, apparently the electric the electric car isn't as energy efficient as it's supposed to be. Who knows, dude? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Different things that people are telling you to do. Sure. Take zinc. It's good for you. Don't take zinc for you. Yeah. It's annoying. You know what I mean? Get it's like, Coca-Cola having I cocaine in it. You know? Podcast, I was just saying. <laughs> Here, at the beginning of the podcast, I was like saying to my coworker, yeah. ever since I turned 40, I'd wake up every night at 3.15 a.m. to take a piss. <laughs> and like he goes, oh, that doesn't sound like it's a prostate thing. It sounds like it could be something else. And I'm like, okay, Dr. Fear. What's going on, you know? And like, yeah, exactly, dude. But the thing is wild. It's like the nature of humans. We really love to scare each other, don't we? You know? Everybody's entitled to one good scare. How you doing? Yes, you want to say hello? What's your name? Dar. Dar. What are we talking about right now? This is Mike. Hey, I'm Bob. How are you? Hi, I'm Maddie. Hi, Maddie. We're talking about aliens. And like when the aliens first came out, people were like, eh, I don't care. Like, I may ask um, what your thoughts on that are. Like, do you believe that there actually could be such a thing? I believe. I don't know what I believe. I think there's some sort of like 
something out there that's like gonna come down and uh be with us for the you mean like jesus or aliens a little a bit of both jesus, jesus alien. is alien you know he is an alien it's yeah, gonna that's come good point. down and like be a part of us be what with do you, us. what do you think maddie right um yeah i kind of zoned out in the beginning of your conversation okay. so <laughs> I don't know. Like, do you think there's aliens? uh well i think that earth is pretty tiny compared to everything out there so there's a chance that like I feel like it would be pretty rare if there wasn't anything at all living, but um, it's not for me to, I don't know. I don't want to like. <laughs> the whole world's listening right now. No, no, it was, it was really both very, very, both very good educated uh, answers. Are you drinking Celsius? What do you got right there? It looks pretty good. Oh, Brownie Duncan. Got to give it off to Duncan. I would love to get sponsored by them. Girls, thanks for your answers. I appreciate it very much. Be safe. Don't get abducted this weekend. All right. Let's move on, because here's something that's crazy, right? Aliens, yeah, you could talk about it all the time, but the one thing you were talking about, too, you know, like how they show up and it's always going to be met with opposition strife. <clears throat> the Palestine-Gaza-Israel yeah. situation. Uh -huh. An endless cycle of violence. Uh, the school district that I work for, board member got, um, she resigned after she made some disparaging comments on social media about said conflict, right? Yep. Okay. The thing about the conflict is we're all pink on the inside, you know what I mean? Sure. Killing each other. And and like almost like like imagine like spreading that culture of murder, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it would be sweet if aliens did show up, yeah. you know what I mean? In the Bible it actually says that the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ would be after Israel is destroyed. Yep. Babylon, you know, but it is wild to just think that doesn't have a like. A, how do you like? For me, I've always said it's an end game that doesn't have an end. What do you? Yeah, um, I guess it was the old saying that like there's only two sure things in life, and that's death and taxes. But my dad, growing up, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, Mike. The only thing sure in life is death, taxes, and continued fighting in the Middle East. Yeah, because like you know, we were in the eighties. Folks, folks, you there? Yeah, real quick, I think we turned the mic off. We're back. Uh, I was just saying uh, to my new friend here, Michael O'Hara, right? Poet. Okay, extraordinary. It's fun when you meet somebody on the fly and they kill it on the podcast. <laughs> so we're going to bring him back for a trilogy. I'll have to meet him back here a couple times before. But before we go, I want him to tell you all a little bit more about his poetry. Okay. Um, yeah, so my name is Mike O'Hara. I was uh, very active in like the Poetry Slam and open mic scene. Uh, in the area from like 2000 to 2015 uh also like chicago baltimore and san francisco uh i have two books that you can't find anywhere one is called the fine art of selling out self-published and the other one uh, i think it's turtle ink press is called the year with no holidays um every now and then i'll poke my head up in the poetry scene and you'll see me again but uh, i've been away a little bit so I've gone from recognized all the time to not recognized at any time. I recognize you now. <laughs> tell, tell me about, I love the title, um, The Art of Selling Out, just because, I mean, like, you know, I love Nirvana growing up, and, like, Kirk Cobain was, I guess, the king of selling out. Yeah, yeah. What does that title uh, refer to? Um, I kind of wanted it to, to kind of reflect that, you know, yes, I, I do have, like, a, a day job, a corporate job, and, and uh, you know, I exist within, the, within a system of expectations and productivity, you know, in, in corporate America. But then also, um, you know, there's artistry everywhere. You know, there's there's poetry to be found on the factory floor. You know, everybody that you interact with is a uh, is is an art object in and of themselves, and uh, kind of ran around different topics and clustered them together in that collection. So. I love it. 
Yeah, well, cool, cool. I, dude, I really appreciate. I mean, like one of the things that's really wild about this whole podcast, this one we're talking about right now, we wouldn't have met if it wasn't for my fear of snakes. Yeah, I would have continued you on. You never know; one thing leads to another, to another, right? And and uh, you know, stopping to observe that snake is how we met. And um, yeah, it's it's good to to be just be open to new experiences, mm-hmm. and then you never know what they're gonna delete. <laughs> dude, I mean, is that is it I'm fate afraid. or is it free will? Like what? brought me to the snake and then obviously the religious implication of the snake said sure. thing but you know what i mean it's always a pleasure uh definitely going to bring you back on the show we're here up at the statue i hope everybody has a great work week my name's bob and this has been yet another episode of the bobcast